Welcome to the Equipped Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Each episode, we will bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs and business owners who are making waves in the marketplace. From sales strategies to marketing innovations, leadership insights, and effective lead generation, this is your go-to source for staying ahead in the business game. Now let's get equipped for success and get to today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Equipped Podcast. We have a special guest with you guys today, and I'm I'm actually really excited to talk with Terry. Terry, um, he has sworn before we get on this episode that he's going to fix all of our golf games that we're on here, and our wedge game is going to drastically increase, and we have a special guest for you guys today on the podcast. So with that, I'd like to welcome Terry Taylor to the show. Terry, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, nice to be on the show and look forward to having some fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, um, I'm going to let the you introduce yourself a little bit in your background, um, and then we're going to get into some amazing questions with the, with our audience I know is going to get a lot of value from. So who is Terry Kaler, and what exactly do you uh, do and help uh, people with? So uh, currently I'm the CEO of Edison Golf Company. We're a premium custom wedge company. Uh, marketing designs that that I've worked on for and evolved for over 30 years as a wedge category specialist in the golf industry. Uh, take a very different approach to wedges. The um, and we'll come into the product later. But I the the journey to get here of 71 years of my life. Uh, I grew up on a little nine hole golf course in a small South Texas town uh, in a golf family, and uh, literally do not remember life before golf and. Uh, played all through school and into college and uh, got my degree and went out and uh, experimented in the world of automobiles and then banking and found my way into the ad agency business um, and um, and then got very specialized in the golf industry um, in the very early 1980s. Um, and from there, I migrated into golf club design and then found my way into focusing on the wedge category about 1990-91, and I've been focused in wedges ever since. That's that's amazing. So you grew up on a golf course when you were nine years old. You don't remember anything prior to golf, and I started in the wedge game. What got you into wanting to specialize in wedges, where did that come from, the, the business acumen of it? Well, I uh, I had been designing putters and uh, had done about 100 different putter designs for three different companies and uh, just turned my attention to wedges out of my own frustrations that you've indicated you've had. And um, on a golf trip to Scotland in 1990, I just had an epiphany about the sole design of a wedge and began grinding on wedges and, and created this sole design that we call the Kaler sole, uh, received a patent on that 1994 after two or three years of patent wrangling. And, um, from there began to work into the whole wedge concept from the way the club head is weighted, uh, to performance. And the big difference between me and Bob Vokey, Roger Cleveland, the other wedge gurus out there 
is they focus on the tour player and I focus on a 30-year study of recreational golfers. And in my work in golf, there's no place that even the best recreational players differ more from the tour player than in wedge play. Uh, and it's primarily due to the amount of time these guys spend on their wedge game. Um, but but the category hasn't evolved anything like what we've seen happen in, in metal woods and irons and putters and golf ball technologies. And the wedges of today are, for the most part, you know, 10% different than they were 50 years ago. Whereas everything else in our bag is, you know, a thousand percent different than it was even 25 years ago. So I see that as a real opportunity to help golfers. Um, and if you help golfers, you can create a business out of that. Uh, but my focus every day is is really helping golfers. I write a blog every week to share my experience and expertise in the scoring game and golf in general. Um, and I just, you know, my whole goal is to to give as much back to the golfers as I can. And and part of that is this golf company that makes extraordinary wedges for recreational players. That's amazing. And I, what's so unique about that story is, if you like, you said if you look at the the golf clubs, if you look at the evolution of it, up it, a lot of a lot of them geared towards professional players. players. And you took it to the product stage, comes to the reissue players. Their market, I would imagine, is very big for them. So what is the market for McCreary and your Alger Alger? Those are those. Well, you know, there's there's no real set of numbers in the golf industry that everybody completely agrees with. But um, and the and the landscape in golf is changing because you have the the emergence of Top Golf and simulators in this off golf course golf they call it. But the the nucleus of the golfer population in the United States is. 12 to 15 million core and avid golfers, you know, they're playing the game, they're they're buying green fees, they're members of clubs. You know, golf is not something they do when they have time. It's something they do, they make time for it. So that's the serious, what we call the core and avid golfer. So there's 12 to 15 million of these carrying uh, 30 to 45 million, 50 million wedges. And those wedges were designed for the most part for the exquisite skills of the elite tour professional. And golfers are, you know, they put cavity back irons in their bag. They put hybrids in their bag. They put, you know, softer shafts in their bag. But they're trying to navigate a wedge that doesn't have any forgiveness built in at all. And yet every other club in their bag is all about getting away with their mediocre shots. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the wedge category is your best shots are are wonderful. But what about those that are, they're not horrible, but they're not quite so good. My goal is to help you get more out of those, get the ball closer to the hole on those shots that, you know, they're not awful, but God, they sure could have been better. Yeah. Well, I saw, I was, uh, I was doing some stuff for the show and I think I saw a quote that you had said that it's really your wedges fault, which I, I, I firmly accept that, that my golf game, it's because of the wedges fault. Um, it's not because of me, it's because of the wedges fault. So I fully accept that, um, and I'm sure you hear a lot of players say that.
Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, 75% of a good shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. I know. I believe that, like I said, when I'm on my golf course and I'm, you know, hearing it, I feel that. Said, I feel that. So, shifting a little bit into the business side, Terry, just because I know that a lot of our listeners love hearing the origin stories of something so unique, like your your organization. You've been around the business for so long. Take us back. Take the listeners back to when you very first formed this company, and let's say that you're going against the monsters, the Titleist, the Callaway, the Nikes. Um. What what made you say, hey, let's create this company? Where did that come from? How did it come to be? Yeah. As I pondered retirement after I brought the Ben Hogan company back into golf in twenty fourteen through sixteen and and wore myself out, thought I was gonna retire. And so I started writing my blog for golfwrx.com. And I've been doing wedges under five different brands for thirty years. And no sooner than I start writing my blog, you know, for people that follow my work said, Hey, when are you gonna do wedges again? And um, and I was piddling around with another little venture in the, in the bird hunting world and got another passion of mine. Um, and so I had some ideas in wedges and I thought this time I don't need to be respectful of other brands. I can just, you know, pull out all the stops and do what I always think wedges should have, should have had done to them and, um, uh, kind of reached back into my past in a chapter out of a wedge company I created in 2010 and 12 called Score. And we were really challenging the whole notion of how wedges should be designed. So I went back into that, and, and that little brand receives a lot of acclaim uh, before it morphed into the Ben Ogan resurrection. But um, we we sat, I sent out with a couple of friends, and um, and I said, you know, I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. I want to I want to have some very bold ideas. My whole pursuit is to help better golf shots happen more often for the recreational player. Um, and um, and I've done a ton of research, proprietary research, secondary research in my 40 years in this industry. And every golfer, regardless whether you're a 20 handicap or a tour professional, your goal is to hit better golf shots more often. That That's really what the game boils down to. And I said, let's turn that into, into a company. And so we were sitting around in kind of a think tank for a weekend and came up with this idea about bold ideas and better golf shots. That's our goal. Uh, you're going to get better golf shots through having bold ideas, which I've always been about, never been a follower. Um, and then the kind of the idea thing fostered the image of a light bulb, and then the image of a light bulb fostered thinking about Thomas Edison. And so that's kind of how we how we ended up with Edison Golf. And uh, we formed the company actually when my – design concepts were sketches on paper. And so from there, I began modeling the concept and working with my foundries and 3D modeling. And uh, we came up with the first iteration in uh, uh, in the fall of 2020, uh, fall of 2019. And um, we were all set. We were going to raise some capital through a crowdfunding effort to be launched in March of 2020. What good timing that was. <laughs> So then right before we launched, the whole COVID debacle begins, and that derailed our our crowdfunding efforts. So we said, well, let's just self-fund it. So this has been a self-funded, you know, seat of the pants, out of the hip pocket effort to this point. Um, you know, we've entertained the idea of bringing in investment capital, uh, but it's been done through, uh, through self-funding to this point. We're small. We're a boutique. 
uh, niche brand. We're not for everybody. We're a premium price. We custom build everything. But that was the model that we wanted to build on. So uh, we launched our first ads on the internet um, in March of 2020, very small, and brought in our first inventory and have been growing uh, gradually and and uh, uh, relentlessly ever since. You just hit on so many different you just hit on so many different points, Terry, that our audience relates to all when it comes to making bold decisions against the norms and creating things on a napkin. I mean, it's, it's stories like that for all entrepreneurs and business owners that inspire people. And I know it's inspired me through all the interviews that I've built. So I'm curious because I love thinking about and hearing about entrepreneurs running all those stages of their long zone while you know, they have this idea and they want to go for the long decisions. Why did you keep pushing on? Why did you keep drawing in an apple? You were you been at you you came out of retirement. Out of retirement, you get formless. Why do you keep? Why do you? Why did you keep doing it? And why do you think people that succeed and make business making deals is keep doing? Well, there's a whole lot of reasons. Sometimes I ask myself that, but um, you know, I've always been pretty tenacious, um, and I and I realized in the wedge category I wasn't done yet. I hadn't done everything I knew that could be done to make a wedge perform better. And, um, you know, in business, the, the measure of success in for business is really your, your P&L. You know, are you, are you profitable so you can keep doing this? And that's difficult to attain. But what really drives me is the, is the emails I get and the reviews we get where people, you know, saying, hey, I've, I've tried them all. These are the best I've ever tried. And, and you know you're doing the right thing when people take their time to, to go onto your website, write a review, or when people take the time to respond to your email, um, and when people take the time to share, you know, their, their positive experience. Um, so, you know, I think there's a, and to me in business, uh, you get into business for, for two reasons. One is because you think you're going to get rich or the, or the other is because you have a deep passion for what it is you want to do, whether it's landscape care or designing wedges or, you know, making a, a better bird hunting vest or whatever it is. Um, I've been very blessed to be asked to guest lecture at an entrepreneur class over at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And I was there a couple of weeks ago and I, I told these kids, I said, you know, when it all comes down to uh, you think you want to be an entrepreneur, you know, you better be prepared for long hours and a lot of work and a lot of fear and a lot of frustration. And you better have a core of passion about what it is you're doing. Um, you know, but I think that the entrepreneurial adventure is a, is a healthy mixture of passion and fear. <laughs> Those two things make you do, make you work harder. It's so true. I heard a quote the other day. You probably can relate to Terry that said, I left my nine to five to work 24 seven in a lot of Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Sure, you, you know, I, uh, uh, I I think any successful entrepreneur can relate to that, and 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 I guess and all of, every entrepreneur is wired differently. Um, you know, some people are wired so much by the by the pursuit of financial gains that everything they do is really driven by that. I'm kind of the other way around. I'm driven by, as I mentioned, by. You know, hearing from golfers that are really made a difference in their game, of, of hearing from people 
that have bought my designs for 25 years, you know, five different brands and just got an email uh, today, in fact, from a guy I played golf with back in the in the 80s and 90s uh, when I lived in San Antonio. And he said he's still playing one of one of my wedges from a company I had in the mid 90s. I told him, I said, it's got to be completely worn out by now. You need new ones. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's just so rewarding and so gratifying, um, you know, that, that people, you know, follow my work and, and, and like what I've done. Oh, no, for sure. And I think what's neat about it, Tim, is here in your straw that you all people said, they ask you, when are you going to create your own brand, your own wages, and it up? I think that that's. As an entrepreneur and thinking about a business and thinking and coming up with an idea, I think that's so yeah, so awesome. So, what would you what would you say to the entrepreneur right now that has this deep passion for something that they do? Whether maybe it's maybe it's cool, what's it's usually called Hebel, but they just can't figure it out what they want to do or what they want to create. What would you tell that aspiring entrepreneur that you're sitting across the table from? Well, God, there's so much, and you only have. 40 minutes here, but, you know, I think the first thing is, is, is don't, don't assume you're a typical golf customer or a typical burdening customer or a typical anything customer, because you're, you're deeply engaged in this. And so you're not typical anymore because the average person isn't thinking about this as much as you are. And so I think surround yourself with people that you can ask questions of that'll give you honest answers and tell you you're full of it when you are and, and it won't blow smoke at you. you know, kind of clean that up a little bit. But, um, you know, I think you have to have a, a group of people that you trust to tell you no when, you know, hey, that's not a good idea or, you know, and I just think that honesty. Um, and you have to be honest with yourself. Um, and, and there's so much homework. I look at all, everything I've done over the last 40 years to learn how to get golf club heads made, to learn about shafts, to learn about grips, to learn about how assembly methods affect the final product. And, and the, and the biggest thing I've been blessed with in my life is, is mentors, people that were older than I, that were, and more experienced than I, that were willing to share what they knew. And, um, and that's why I like doing podcasts like this. I mean, I, I have a body of knowledge and, and, you know, some small percentage of it is, is what I'd consider proprietary knowledge. I'm not the only body I came up with this, but for the most part, you know, golf is more fun, the better you get. Um, and if I can help somebody shave a few strokes, either by writing a blog article, building a better wedge, you know, it, spending time with them on a range and a demo day, um, you know, I just, I love helping people discover the next layer of this game because it's been so much to me my whole life. I'm blessed at 71 years old to still have my health and mobility. I can still play to a low single digit for the regular tees and you know, my senior friends play the senior tees and that's fine. I'll go up there when it's time, but it's not time for me yet. And, uh, uh, but you know, I, I've learned so much by studying this game for so long, you know, to not be willing to share it would be the most selfish thing ever. Wow. Like, okay. What you just said, okay. what you just said I think things are very powerful. You said, okay. Yeah. So it, would, okay. it would be selfish if you were not sharing. And I think that's so powerful, especially for success. It's a power especially for success. When you know that you have something and you've been gifted something and it is a passion of yours, you know 
you know that you're in your right calling if you feel selfish not sharing it with the right with the right person. And I think that that's so powerful that you said that. And then prior to that sentence, you said you said something along the lines of it, it's meant so much to you. Um, I always like to ask a little with entrepreneurs. There's always something that keeps people driving and keeps people going. And you said it means so much to you. So what what does the game of golf mean to you? I'm sorry, can you repeat that, Lane? Yeah, what what does the game of golf mean to you? Well, well, it it was kind of the foundation and 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 focal point that I built a relationship with my father, uh, with my brother. Um, you know, so many of my good friends have have been made through golf and on the golf course. I picked up and and relocated myself two years ago to a new community. At, 69 years old and you know immediately fell into new country club making new friends and and i feel like some of these people i've known forever because golf provides that environment um you know there's some great books written around the game i'm a pretty big historian and student of the game and um you know there's one of my favorite books um is uh, golf in the kingdom and it's kind of an existential kind of thing but you know in the book one of the things that that uh that is revealed and kind of scared is golf gives you a, to me, it gives me kind of a barometer of where I am emotionally and psychologically in my life. If I find myself on the golf course getting a little bit of a short fuse or whatever, then that tells me something's out of whack. You know, something in my life's out of whack. I'm thinking about the wrong things. I'm not on the golf course. But for me, going to the golf course is also kind of going from the classroom to the lab. You know, and my buddies, a lot of them are retired, but others, you know, they leave their their sales job or they leave their accounting job or they leave their law office and go to the golf course. And for me, I'm just moving from my golf club shop to the golf course. And and I'm always thinking about design. So it's always, I'm thinking about the next blog article. It's always kind of the laboratory for me. So I have a little different relationship with the game than even the most ardent, serious player. But, you know, I think uh, the game is, is just, it's such a metaphor for life. I mean, you, Sometimes you hit great golf shots and you don't get a payoff, and sometimes you hit kind of crummy golf shots, but it takes a good bounce and it and you do get a payoff. And um, you know, so I think golf is you know the conditions for every round are different. I think golf is kind of a great metaphor for life, and there have been so many great books and movies and things written about that. But you know, entrepreneurialism is kind of the same thing. I've been seeing Facebook posts lately with Teddy Roosevelt's great quote about. Uh, you know, the man in the arena whose face is marred by the blood and the sweat, and the tears and, um, you know, who fails at least fails greatly um, instead of being, you know, uh, relegated to those people who shall never know victory nor defeat. You know, so there's a lot to be said for trying. You know, there's a lot to be said for laying it all out there, whether it's, you know, a 240-yard carry over water or launching a new company. That God, it's so well said. I love. I just love those questions when I asked entrepreneurs that are aligned with their passions, and you said it and created a connection with you and your father and your family. And I, I had a feeling that's where that was going to go. And golf means that means that to many people. And I think it's really cool that you say that, and you created a business out of it, and you created your passion out of it, which I think is remarkable. Um, earlier in the episode, Terry, because this this podcast and our audience, it's called the Equipped Podcast. And so, you know, we love to equip our audiences 
with um, successful business tips, lead generation, marketing, sales. Um, that's the people that tune into this podcast. Um, and so you said earlier that you more of a you're a, a boutique type company. And so let's get into the nitty gritty, the tactics a little bit of how you market your business. Where are you getting um, your leads from? How are you growing the business um, right now in the environment in the marketplace? Well, we launched the company um, by going consumer direct. Uh, I do not consider us a consumer direct company. We're a premium wedge company. Uh, but we happen to launch the company consumer direct because you can do that right away with a minimal infrastructure. Um, and, you know, we've experimented with golf centric media. We've experimented with, you know, social media. We've experimented, you know, with, with Google and there are all these things. I personally, you know, I, I, I find the whole digital advers- advertising arena to be a little bit messy and, uh, sometimes slimy to be honest with you, but, uh, but you can reach people that way. And in today's world, you can build a website, launch a store and sell your product to no shortcuts. It takes money to do that. Right. Um, our long-term plan as we get in the next year is to expand into the network of golf fitting centers. So when we launched the product, the company online, uh, we created a, a, lead generation tool called wedge fit it's a scoring range analysis that engages the user into a q a it gives us the ability to know enough about their game to recommend the kind of wedges they play but it also gives us knowledge of their game so that we can recommend some uh some instructional help too as well as things that may help them get better um, and that's our primary lead generation tool um you know people also have the ability to sign up on the website to get our newsletter. Um, but we, and I always try to communicate with people um, respectfully and with content that's valuable, whether they buy the wedges or not. Um, I resent consumer marketing companies that pound me with the sale message two or three, four times a day or a week. I, I'm, I'm a believer that if you engage a follower, then the, to me, the basic rule of email is first do no harm. So do not give that follower a reason to unsubscribe because now you don't get to talk to them ever again. So I always try to mix content with, with opportunity in our emails. Um, and as a result, we, we ex- experience very high email open rates, um, low of 45 or 50%, high of 75 to 90% open rates because we, we subscribe to that theory of, the email will give you valuable information most of the time. It's going to be contest driven. Um, and, and we're, I had a golf writer call me the wedge contrarian, uh, which I took as a badge of honor and a real compliment because I'm sharing things with people. They're not going to hear from the big brands. They're not going to hear from a golf professional. They're certainly not going to hear from their buddies. Um, so you know, my goal is to share knowledge and information I've gained in my career in the golf industry. Uh, if I can help you hit one more good chip shot around, one more good pitch shot, I can help you learn how to hit a shot you don't have right now and add that to your arsenal. Um, so, um, but but the opportunity in, in our category in golf, the vast majority of golfers want to see it, touch it, try it, and, and custom fitting, hands-on fitting 
has become so popular in golf now. And, it, and it's a good thing. It's the right way to do it if it's done right. So we're going to be expanding into building a network of hands-on fitting centers uh, around the country and the world. That's where our growth strategy is going to go, as well as continuing to grow you know, our direct-to-consumer side of our business because a lot of people would rather buy online. That's just what they'd rather do. Um, we back all of our golf clubs with a 100% risk-free trial. Um, if you don't like the golf club, I don't want it in your bag. I don't want you talking bad about it. Send it back. We'll give you a full refund. Uh, but you need to take that wedge out of the golf course. You know, we're a sensory product. You need to take it out to the golf course and, and see how it works for you under real game conditions. And if you do that, we're going to win the battle because we know it works better. Providing value within getting leads. And I mean, you said multiple things there when it comes to content and opportunity and all the open rates that you have. And it just seems as if you guys have such a, uh, say pristine name in the marketplace and you back up, you know exactly what you're selling. And you even made the comment too of, you know, you don't want something in their bag that they don't like. And I think that that's such a uh, powerful statement. And I think that goes across the, the marketplace in general with someone has that has a consumer product. And I think that says a lot about what you guys are building um, at, at Edison Wedges. And by the way, I love how you guys came up with Edison Wedges. Um, I, that, you answered that question, and I definitely wanted to ask that question, which I think is is, is really cool as well. Um, in the In the golf marketplace, going against the Callaways and the Nikes and the, and, the, and the big brands. I want to ask this question because there may be someone out there that's an entrepreneur that wants to create something and they may be trying to go against the Amazons or the Targets or the Walmarts. You know, what would you, what would you say is the, the driving force of saying, hey, you know, we're going to create this brand. We're going to go against the big guys. And then what would you, what would you say to that entrepreneur that may be trying to compete with the big boys? Uh, what would you say to that entrepreneur? Well, I think you need to be <clears throat> very honest of, you know, what are, what is your value proposition against those guys? Um, so when I take on the big golf companies, for example, they all position their wedges as, you know, tour validated, tour preferred, number one on tour, this kind of thing. And, and I position this brand and the product because about, you know, well, you're not a tour player. You can't play his wedges. You don't try to play his tour blade irons. You don't try to play his super X stiff shaft. You don't swing a driver 135 miles an hour. You don't spend, you know, 15, 18, 25 hours a week practicing your wedge game. You can't optimize your wedge game with the wedges that he or she can optimize their game with. Um, and, and what you want out of your wedges is very different than what they want. You would like, Lane, I'm guessing from what you told me, you would like some surprises in your wedge game. You would like some shots that, ooh, I kind of hit that on the toe, but oh, wow, it, it found the green. I got a 20-foot vertic putt, you know, in, instead of that front bunker. You would like some surprises in your wedge game. The tour player wants complete predictability in his wedges. He knows how to hit a shot 35 feet seven different ways. And if I give him a wedge and he hits it 35 feet, but it goes 39 feet and it spins differently, he's going to hand it back to me and go, I can't use this. It didn't do what I thought it should. Because he's not looking for game improvement in his wedge game. He's looking for reliability and very tiny incremental changes. And the last thing he wants is more spin because these guys can spin the ball like crazy. 
they don't want more spin. In fact, they, a lot of them are trying to figure out how to take some spin off the ball because, but you've probably never thought about that. I don't want spin. You'd like to have more spin on your wedges because you're not a tour player. So we build a golf club that spins more by the way it's designed. And the tour player may reject that feature. Whereas my golfers that write reviews and emails to me, they're all jumping up and down about being able to spin a golf ball. And, uh, so it's about know your master. You you need to you need to figure in your entrepreneurial assessment stage. Are there enough people that want this idea I have, or is it just something I think is cool? And I've I've created a number of products that I thought were cool as hell, but nobody would really want them. Um, but you know, so the first assessment is: Have I got an idea for something that fills a need or a want? Because filling satisfying wants is just as important as satisfying needs, and maybe more so because most people have their needs met. Um, if they have disposable income, their needs are probably met. So you're dealing with what the, what their wants are. Uh, so I think your first assessment is, is this an idea that really has an opportunity? Is that something people really want out there? You know, is it a, a healthier high-end dog food or is it, you know, a healthier high-end gerbil food? Well, you know, the high-end dog food's probably got a lot bigger audience than the high-end gerbil food. And the people really know what they're feeding their gerbil anyway. I don't know. I don't have a gerbil. But my point is, just because you want it, you need to be an honest in, but are there enough other people like me that would want this? You know, or am I, you know, kind of a, a tiny minority? But, um, and so in our world, you know, we know golfers pretty much by and large want to play better. And they want to shoot lower scores and they want to hit longer drives and they want to have more birdies. So I'm not in the longer drive category. I'm in the let's take some strokes off your score by making your wedge game better. You know, 30% of your shots are going to be taken from, you know, 100 yards into the green. Let's go, let's go make those shots better and, uh, and maybe make it where it's not 30%. Now it's 22% because you got better. So that's, I think, the first key is assess your idea with, you know, kind of back away from your your you know your own tunnel vision and say, but it, this is cool, but is it saleable? Does it solve a problem that really exists? And there's been a ton of products created that solve a problem that doesn't exist. So, hmm. yeah, I love it. I love when entrepreneurs share facts and pieces like that with want and needs. And it just, I know the audience is probably sitting there and even I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it's such, it's so easy to say that, but then truly to think about what the marketplace would want uh, is truly remarkable. And then you, you apply it to something like golf wedges. Um, I think it, it's truly remarkable and it's cool to see what you created. Um, so take the listener, Terry, through how in the world you do this. Like, how do you help? How would you help me get the perfect wedges in my bag? I'm sorry, how would I, and you would break up a little bit there, Lane. So how would I help you what? Get the perfect wedges in my bag. So that's what our wedge fit. I would tell you to go to our website and take wedge fit. And it lets us see, you know, what irons you're playing. How are we going to match, match up wedges to blend I, I use the term seamless transition. I want your wedges to feel and balance and blend right into your irons because that's extension of 
of you know the middle of your bag. Um, and so our wedge fit uh, exercise is designed to give us the background information we need to put the right wedges in your bag. We're going to ask you a number of questions about your game and what's in your bag and the kind of turf you play. Um, and then, you know, the thing about wedges is, and I wrote a blog post a while back and I've kind of reposted it several times about why wedge mastery is so elusive. And wedge play is the hardest part of the game of golf. Um, and in fact, I read an interesting uh this interview with Adam Scott, they're talking about this golf ball rollback. And, and he said, you know, that the biggest culprit is the big driver because you can swing as hard as you want. Cause it's so big and so forgiving. And that driving the ball has gone from the hardest part of the game when we all played persimmon drivers to now it's the easiest part of the game because we're all playing these big watermelon drivers, but wedge play by nature, every wedge shot is a glancing blow because of all the loft on the wedge. So, Wedge play requires a more precise strike than a seven iron shot and a much more precise strike than a drive. Um, and so I advise people, if you want to improve your wedge game, rethink your, what you think your wedge yardages are. If you think you hit a pitching wedge 130, recalibrate that down to 120 and hit that pitching wedge a little softer and a little slower and be more precise with it. And that will improve your wedge play immensely by just throttling back a full wedge is not the same as a full seven iron and a full seven iron isn't the same as a as a driver you know you're going all out with that driver so the closer you get to the green the more precise your strike needs to be and then the other thing is get off of these tour design wedges you've been fighting for the, your whole life just because it's the number one on tour that's the number one reason it shouldn't be in your bag then that's what edison's all about that was your shameless plug right there uh Hey, that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, I wanted you to do that. I wanted you to give a shameless plug. Um, you know, with that, I hope the listeners have gotten value from, I know they've gotten value from your business nuggets. And I know that there's a lot of people that play golf, possibly that li- listen to this too. So how would the listeners follow you and your blog? How do people under, like, how do the people get in contact with Terry? Look at your website, you know, plug what you've got going on in case someone wants to make their bag better so our our website is edisonwedges.com uh and we're more thorough in in telling you what we've done why we've done it and how we've done it and why it's good for you our our website's very informative compared to the couple of paragraphs you'll hear from most other people about their wedges but there's a lot in this simple molded piece of metal there's a lot that's gone into it my blog is published every week on golfwrx.com. I publish as the wedge guy uh, and have for over 20 years. That's moniker that, that I've got. Um, and when you're on our website, take wedge fit. That'll put you in our email uh, library. Uh, there's a series I wrote called, I call it Wedgeology 101. When you take our wedge fit exercise, you're going to get a nine-part email series called Wedgeology 101, which are things that I've learned about wedges that golfers don't know you know, about why the, why the club head design is important, all about bounce and grinds, how does spin happen, why the shafts are important. So Wedgeology 101 will be worth the price of admission, which is zero. Um, and then sign up for our newsletter. Uh, but if you take the wedge fit exercise, everything we come up with, you're going to be privy to or running. Uh, you know, we don't do a lot of sales. Um, what we do is provide you a lot of content to help you understand why we've done what we've done. And at some point in time, 
you might take up our our 100% risk-free trial. So, you know, we, we, we know you have to put this wedge on the golf course, hitting real golf shots uh, that you face every round, and you're going to see somewhere in there, either immediately or it may take a couple of rounds, you're going to find yourself getting away with some things going, wow, I, that, that wouldn't have darned out like that with my old wedge. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, give you one or two more, you know, satisfactory golf shots around. Which that make a difference on the golf course for any golfers on here. The one to two, three, four golf shots, they make a difference when you're playing golf. I can I completely agree with that. Can people are you on social media, Terry, on Instagram or Facebook or, or any of those channels? We have a Facebook page, Edison Wedges. Um, and I tend to monitor that and I'll kick in or respond or one of our team members will. Um I answer a lot of emails personally. If somebody takes the time to write me an email, I think it's only right that I take the time to answer. Um, so all of my, all of our company emails that go out, thousands of them a week, are all uh, tagged by me. And and my my email response address is wedgeguy at edisonwedges.com. And if you write into wedgeguy at edisonwedges.com, I'm going to give you a personal response. I think that's just the right thing to do. Um, that South Texas upbringing, I guess. There you go. There, there you go. Adding that value, adding that value, adding that value. I love it. I love it. Um, I know that the listeners have, 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 have got, I've got a ton of value from this, Terry. Thank you so much for um, coming on here to the podcast. And I know that uh, we'll be able to share this episode and any, uh, any parting words for, Maybe an entrepreneur that's sitting across from you having coffee. What would you tell that entrepreneur if they're in the they're in the thicket of building something? What would be your one piece of advice? You know, I I think it's you've got to combine passion uh, and diligence and fortitude um, and commitment. You know, to uh, these these entrepreneurial journeys uh, are not easy. Uh, some people probably have had a relatively easy time with it, and and more power to them. But my experience is the entrepreneurial journey is not an easy one, but it's very rewarding in more ways than just financial. Um, hopefully it'll be rewarding financial, financially for you. But, you know, the lessons learned and the experiences lived, uh, I can't imagine. I, I always tell people I was 27 years old before I found out I was completely unemployable. And so that's when I went out on my own. Uh, at first with a marketing agency, which evolved to an advertising agency, which evolved into, you know, designing and, and marketing for golf companies and golf clubs. And so uh, it's been rewarding in a lot of ways beyond financial. And, um, you know, and when you're all spent, I love the, the, uh, the uh, George Bernard Shaw. I love the, the Roosevelt quote, George Bernard Shaw, also another one that ended, uh, you know, it's about, Spending yourself in a in a cause you deem worthy, so your place shall never be among those cold and timid souls uh, who complaining that the world will not devote itself to making them happy. <laughs> so um, remarkable, you know. Uh, don't, but, but I, you know, it's too much good. I'm sorry. That's that. Yep. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal, guys. Make sure you go and follow. Make sure you go. Make sure you email Terry Wedge Fit. Sign up for their emails. 
And I, again, I just really appreciate you coming on to the Equipped Podcast, Terry. And guys, before you head out of here, if you could do us a huge favor, if you're on Apple, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you go all the way to the bottom, hit subscribe, and give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. We're really trying to get these entrepreneurial journeys and these stories out so we, we can equip you, especially going into 2024, to grow your business and uh, continue to hit new heights. And so, Terry, with that, again, I appreciate you and look forward to staying connected with you. And then hopefully, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll throw some wedges in my bag and see what happens. Yeah, thank Thank you so much, Terry. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Equipped Podcast. Do me a favor. Go to Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. Better yet, share this with someone that you think it would add value to. And if you think you would be a good guest on the Equipped Podcast, shoot me an email at lane at goprospect.com that's l-a-n-e at g-o-p-r-o-s-p-e-x dot com until next time see you guys